Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guests are humanitarians responding to the crisis along the Texas-Mexico border. We travel to the Rio Grande Valley and speak to Elias Cantu and Summer Joy Gonzalez, who work daily to help asylum seekers on both sides of the border. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Attention college students. The Point Foundation empowers lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer students to achieve their full academic and leadership potential. Applications are now being accepted for its scholarship until January 28, 2019. Visit pointfoundation.org to apply and for more information about the program. Good luck! And here's your weekly news update. It is December 2018 and the midterm elections are still being decided as one remaining House seat in North Carolina with a 900 vote difference is being contested by the state's election commission for possible voting irregularities, allegedly on the Republican side. For the past three weeks, the election that would not end has seen close House races that were not called on election night, November 6, benefiting Democrats day by day. Call it the blue wave that just trickles in. Leading the effort to flip as many as 40 House seats this election cycle is a Latino from New Mexico, U.S. Representative Ben Ray Lujan, the chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. This popular Democrat, who represents New Mexico's 3rd Congressional District, including the state capital, Santa Fe, joined Congress in 2009 and made a name for himself working on economic issues, supporting health insurance reform, working to reform Wall Street, and fighting to keep student loan rates down. He is also a champion for LGBTQ issues, Equality New Mexico, the largest and oldest LGBTQ political advocacy organization, endorsed Lujan for his race, which he won with 63% of the vote on election night. Just weeks after winning his sixth term, Lujan won another important race on November 28th. He was unanimously elected by his Democratic colleagues to serve as the assistant Democratic leader in the 116th Congress, which convenes in January. His number four spot is right after soon-to-be Majority Whip James Clyburn of South Carolina, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland, and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi of California, who has the most votes going into her campaign for the position in January. Lujan, who turned 46 this year, was supported by members of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, a group he belongs to. That caucus will now have an important voice in the leadership of the new House. The 2018 Latino vote has delivered. Let's get this straight. Seeking asylum is not a crime. Again, seeking asylum is not a crime. Unfortunately, the misinformation of a complicated issue by the media and the unconstitutional action of an administration has muddied the waters for political gain. 
Asylum seekers are people who are fleeing their countries because of threats to themselves or families. They must either be at the border or within the United States to claim protection. They cannot seek asylum from outside. Some enter the country with a tourist, study, or work visa, but these are difficult to obtain. Others approach the U.S. border and ask for protection or cross the border without permission and are detained by immigration officials before filing their asylum applications. But what happens when the U.S. government refuses entry? A humanitarian crisis is born. While all eyes are on the aftermath of the Tijuana, California border skirmish that resulted in tear gas being launched by U.S. authorities at asylum seekers on the Mexican side, Hundreds of asylum seekers wait at the Matamoros, Texas bridge for access outside in the cold under its international bridges. What was supposed to be a weekend volunteer hour for one local man to help these asylum seekers has turned into a nightly project that has Elias Cantu crossing the bridge each night with blankets, medicine, and food. Helping him is fellow activist Summer Joy Gonzalez who teamed up with Elias to help asylum seekers navigate the long and difficult road to achieving asylum in the United States. I want to welcome to the show Elias Cantu and Summer Joy Gonzalez, two activists from the Rio Grande Valley who have been here um, for the past year or so working with asylum seekers, people coming in from Central America, really all over the world that are coming through the Texas, Texas, Mexico border, Cuba, Africa, China, China. So this is literally the new Ellis Island down here in the Rio Grande Valley. Welcome to the show. Please introduce yourselves. My name is Elias Cantu and uh, I have moved back here to the valley about a year ago. In the beautiful Actually, a year and a half ago. Beautiful city of San Benito. Of San Benito, the Resaca city, the home of Freddie Fender. Yes. <laughs> Hi, my name is Summer Joy Gonzalez. I'm originally from the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, my family's been here for hundreds of years. And I'm here working with Lulac and Elias Cantu, uh, helping asylum seekers. So, a little history. Elias and I met in 2006 when we were forming our very first LGBT council within the League of United Latin American Citizens, which is the oldest and largest Hispanic Civil Rights Organization founded in this area of South Texas in the early, no, in 1929. We're going to celebrate 90 years in February. In 2006, we started our first uh, LGBT council, and um, that's where I came, our paths cross. Yes. Doing that historic council of bringing uh, LGBT Latinos together to organize in Dallas. And while, while I was visiting down here, there's an idea of starting one in the Rio Grande Valley. And one of the things you're already working on before you even started this council is some beautiful work that you're doing helping asylum seekers. Those people that we've been hearing about in the news that have been coming up from Central America through Mexico. Tell us about what got you all interested in working with these people. Well, um, my mom and I had uh, always volunteered with the immigrants in the McAllen area whenever I would visit the valley uh, for the holidays during Christmas. And we would volunteer at Catholic Charities in McAllen. And uh, so we got an, uh, an idea of what it was like to, to work under that 
because they, they, they have it really well organized over there uh, to from starting from intake uh, and doing the registration and then providing them with their hygiene packet and then also uh, getting them ready uh, for uh, their hot meals as well that are provided but before they uh, sat down to have dinner they would do some shopping uh, that to go through the uh, clothes that was donated so that way they they could get uh, clothes from head to toe including tennis shoes as well and get their clothes ready and then their towel so they could go and take a hot shower uh, in, in a mobile unit that was provided I believe it was by Salvation Army and then after they had uh, they took a shower then they could also go to the clinic where they are they provide a doctor that uh, can see them if they have any kind of you know if they have a cold or a cough or anything that that the doctor can see them for then after they would do that then they would go and and uh, wait by the kitchen and receive a hot meal and then after the the hot meal then they would uh, go over to the station where my mom would volunteer and that would be where uh, she would uh, have cell phones uh, to where they could make a call and contact their family and give them an estimated time of arrival uh, of when they were leaving and what time to expect them and what their route was going to be and then after that we would provide them with bags that they would pretty much the way we're doing now in Bronzeville where we provide them with bags that have snacks and water and drinks and then also a blanket and a backpack. To put it in context, recent immigrants from the past decade have been from Central America. They begin a month-long journey of a thousand-mile trek to get to the United States. They leave poverty and violence in their nation and face terrifying situations along the way by human traffickers, cartels, the elements of constantly being outside with no shelter and little access to food. But you're seeing a different population coming to this side of the border. Correct. Yes, and the uh, the population that we're serving right now, they are asylum seekers, and we got involved mainly because everything we kept seeing on the news was about the caravan that was coming uh, from Central America. They are not here yet. The ones that are here right now are uh, mostly are about I would have to say about seventy five percent Cuban, mm -hmm. and then also about fifteen percent uh, from Africa. Uh, from Cameroon also. I've met also some from uh, China. And then the others would be uh, probably a small percentage, maybe 10-15% would be from Central America, Nicaragua, Guatemala. We so you're have seeing a whole Mexico. new dynamic to from what we reach, we've been seeing. Correct. Whole different dynamic. And uh, so pretty much everyone that is here, you know, we went in because we're getting prepared for the caravan mm -hmm. if, you know, if it does arrive here. Uh, it has already arrived in Tijuana and that's something that we knew that we needed to get ready for and be ready to respond and provide the, all the services that they would need, uh, mostly being uh, food. And that's one of the biggest things that's needed right now in Tijuana is the food. Uh, they, uh, everything that, they, that we receive in donations, be it from clothes and uh, warm clothes, especially right now that the temperature is changing and we're expecting cold fronts almost on a weekly basis. We are always making the call, you know, for uh, for people to donate sweaters and shoes and uh, warm clothing. Also, we have put up some tarps that we purchased at Walmart. And um, I travel with work, and before I left to work in San Antonio, I made sure that we put up tarps for them because. 
the area that they're in is under a carport basically with just the roof and no yeah, walls. because you have the international building. I the mean, bridge. You cross over it, and at the foot of the bridge, there's all these tarps. They're, there's they're living under a carport basically yeah. on the on the Mexican side, uh, and they don't have any walls so we put up tarps all around uh to cover them and shield them from the yeah. wind and the water because yeah, the wind was bringing in the water and getting them wet yeah. uh and some of them you know we do have uh we do have a doctor here locally that uh her name is dr kanan she has been able to go there and see some of the asylum seekers as well she's also provided turkey dinners as well for them mm-hmm. uh, and if they do need any medication there are pharmacies there uh, that we can walk to uh, within a block or two and get prescriptions for them a lot of them do have a cold cough and they need just the basics like that so those we go and purchase ourselves as well elias has been in the i guess in the social services scene for quite some time um like i had mentioned You've worked in HIV AIDS, being a promotora of some sort, trying to get right. the community involved, and now you work for the Texas State Employee Union. So you do this on as a volunteer basis. Yes, this is on a volunteer basis. Now, Summer, you started doing this most recently. Tell us what got you motivated to work with these migrants. Um, well, Elias is a big part of it. <clears throat> I met Elias in Dallas working with LULAC. Um, and as soon as I moved back over here, we just sat down and we said, okay, how are we going to grow LULAC in the RGV? What are our priorities going to be? Well, everything was pointing to the border and it was just a sense of urgency. Yes. How are we going to respond? This is a humanitarian crisis. No matter who paints it, what color or says it's as spooky and scary as you know, all these people are saying that it's going to be, let's go see for ourselves. And so, Elias, who do you know that's plugged in? Well, I have some friends. Let me give them a call, and I'll let you know. <clears throat> Next thing I know, we're at the border, and we're serving food to about 25 people who were sleeping outside on cots. Now, at this point in time, it was kind of chilly, but it wasn't freezing yet. It was, I think it was like 50 degrees, maybe 60 degrees, and we're thinking, okay, this is kind of, this is hard. But they're wearing chanclas. They have a place to sleep. Let's get some tarps up. Next thing I know, a cold front hits. And so we're carrying the food over there in wagons. So imagine a cold front, cold winds, and having to sleep outside. These people are coming from, like we say, 75% of them are Cuban. Um, And they are escaping political uh, genocide, I guess, in a sense. I don't know the proper word. But um, you can tell, like you said, they're malnourished, even though they will tell you to your face. No, I'm not. I'm fine. I'm just skinny. You're fat, you know. <laughs> um, and But you can tell even by their growth pattern that yeah. they haven't been eating the way we eat. And then they're part they're from a part of the world that doesn't get this cold oh yeah <laughs> and that was their point is the saying, you know we went through the, the going through the jungle was easier than this these people have crossed by foot through a jungle they have crossed through i think they say 31 countries to come to our front uh, mm-hmm. to our border and so um and they have faced things that you know we would never dream of facing in our life um but so so we started taking food over there i started helping elias and the team and team brownsville just to take meals over there. Uh, right away, I started seeing, okay, what do they need? That's kind of my job as an organizer. I'd identify the needs and let's see how we can fill them. It was uh, closed-toed shoes, it was more blankets, it was the tarps, it was outdoor heaters, uh, maybe a coffee pot, maybe a microwave because they're literally sitting outside. Well, there's a, there's a level of apathy 
from the Mexican officials that are there at the bridge that are kind of uh, quote unquote holding them until the U.S. will beckon them. The U.S. calls for, give me three of this country, give me two of that country. That's all we have room for. So they're in a waiting room so under the bridge. Under yeah, Outside. Outside. And, but they're not even allowed, like let's say on the day that they need to shower, they're not even allowed to go down to the river to bathe or wash their clothes. You know, something we would think like, well, it's kind of like camping. Yes. Well, I'll go down to the river and shower or swim. They're not because they're, they're afraid being of being monitored. shot. Yeah, they're afraid they will be attacked by the U.S. Army. So the U.S., the Mexican officials, <clears throat> we initially took some outdoor heaters over there um, that were donated by, uh, I believe her name was Gladys. She brought them over, but uh, the American uh, propane and the Mexican propane, it's different. The attachments no, are different. Attachments. So we couldn't, uh, and then the Mexican officials were pretending they didn't know how to get it started. So, you know, the guys who sell there on the bridge, one of the vendors, I tell them, here's 20 pesos. Go explain to the Mexican official we want them to help us find the regulator to change the parts so that we can get these things working. Okay, manita, I boy. I go back, <clears throat> there's one of the main Mexican officials, and he says, no, no, we don't know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I said, sir, you're an adult man. I'm an adult woman. We're both facing a crisis here. And regardless of where you're from or what you think, where I'm from or what I think, we need to help these people because they're outside, they're sleeping in the cold, they're freezing. But let's put our adult brains together and let's find a solution. Within 24 hours, they were up and running. You know, and um, and I don't know who put the money to make it happen. But sometimes it's just doing that. It's just showing up. It's being human. Being and, human. And, and it's saying, um, this is a problem. I don't care where these people were born. I don't care what they did in their past. They're starving. They're freezing. We need to we need to respond to the call. Isn't, isn't that who we are? Um, and so, you know, thanks to Elias that he provided the platform and all of his connections that he has spent years building and the invite. Because he invited me in. Um, I'm certainly willing to help him, and we want to see this thing grow. I've uh, been told from national leaders in LULAC in Chicago and Washington, D.C., that um, we're probably the best organized area uh, responding at the border. They don't have what we're doing all the way through, all the way across. And so hopefully we can somehow negotiate where we would be able to uh, plant works like this or just establish connections where everybody's kind of working on the same platform we're responding uh, in the ways that we should where are your donations coming from we do have a gofundme account and that was uh this is actually the very first gofundme that i've ever created before in my life uh so i had to get familiar with it and it's a uh, learning process it's a learning process it's a learning process and, trying to be an activist in the 21st century because there's so many avenues to uh, uh, get resources and to appeal not just not just to your community but now that we have this uh social media anyone can donate yes so tell us about the avenues where they could donate to you the we do have a gofundme account and then um that one is a, a gofundme and and we uh, it's, i named it uh lulac rio grande valley because um, that's one of the things that we are working on also is to open up a, a LULAC LGBT council here in the valley. Uh, so uh, I started that and then the first week it got off to a slow start. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then w I posted a picture of uh, a family sleeping under a tarp under the bridge. And I commented on, on the caption. I put under this tarp are three children and four adults sleeping in the cold weather in these blankets on the wet sidewalk and that automatically brought in eleven hundred dollars in 24 hours when i woke up in the morning it was that uh, gofundme account had uh another thousand dollars in there 
and uh, currently we are and we're in our third week of the GoFundMe account, and we're already uh, crossed our four thousand wow. uh, dollar donations that have but come in. But keep giving money because it runs out fast. We have a lot of food we need to buy. Yeah, we buy we buy Summer's on a daily life. basis. We, Tell we us go about every yeah. day. Tell us about what go, where the money goes towards. Uh, we purchase uh, uh, food every day. Uh, we also. Uh, the the main the first response that we did was to get everybody in warm clothing. Uh, we had children with no shoes, so we do have uh, shoes that are donated almost on a daily or weekly basis. But we don't have everyone sizes, so whenever we do come across someone that we need to go and to make a special trip to Walmart so that they can have something warm to wear, we do purchase shoes for them, uh, and it goes to shoes, socks, gloves. Uh, and uh, also uh, beanies, beanies, because scarves. That's the most important. Covering your head, covering in your the head, cold is so mm -hmm. important because that's where a lot of the heat escapes. And a lot of people want to donate stuff, like physical stuff, like they do clothing drives and stuff. But the shipment kind of like cancels out. <laughs> it's almost too expensive to ship down to the Rio Grande Valley. So a dir direct monetary donation would go farther correct correct especially because we we go and take a list every day of how many are there and then what the needs are what sizes they need uh how many women are there so we you know that list can change on a day-to-day -day basis and uh, we do have donations going but you know when we know exactly what the need is we're able to go and purchase it purchase it and get it uh, ourselves uh, knowing the need um, and another then, another thing that I want you to talk uh, tell us about is the stuff that you do at the Greyhound stations. Yes, the backpacks. This is the there's there's two parts to it. Uh, there's uh, one team uh, that goes out in the evening every day at six p.m. and uh, we leave every day uh, from what we call Tucker's Kitchen, and that's where Brandon Tucker is actually he rented an apartment there just one block away from the bus station so we leave every day at 6 p.m and that's the team that goes out and provides dinner every night the other team is the one that's there in the morning at 5 a.m when the immigration drops off uh, those that have been released and they are there uh, they make several drops they make one at 5 a.m they'll make another one at 7 and if there's a third uh, bus that comes it'll probably be right before 11 now these people are people that have applied for asylum and been given a court date correct been given a court date to return so they've been uh, released for to the public, public released mm -hmm. and but they're released and they have nothing on them they have no money um, they this is where you come when in. they this is when where, where we come in and when they are uh, when they get off the bus and they start walking inside the bus station they're all walking in a single file wearing their uh, clothing that's provided by the immigration and they're basically scrubs. They're blue scrubs, uh, tops and bottoms. And um, ankle bracelets. And um, not all of them have ankle bracelets, but uh, they come in and you can see how their spirit has been broken. Yes. Uh, and that's where we come in. At the minute those doors open, we welcome them and we tell them who we are and how we're going to help them. And then we start getting them ready to purchase their bus tickets. Then after they purchase their bus tickets, some of them, if they have a long trip, that some of them also are able to purchase their plane tickets. 
Now, these bus tickets and their plane tickets are purchased by their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are expenses that are being made by their families or, or their sponsor here in the United States. This is after they've already, some of them have had to post bond uh, into thousands of dollars. Some of them we've heard at the lowest of 2500 and the highest being 10000 uh, wow. on a bond just to get out. And, and they have papers with them saying that they had to show up at a court date wherever they're headed to. Where they're headed to. And, and then after we do that, then we, uh, uh, after we purchase their bus tickets that, uh, that their family has actually purchased, actually, uh, then we'll walk them over to some suitcases that we, that we take with us every day. And we, those suitcases, each one of them has clothes for them and, and, uh, and they're labeled small, medium, large, extra large. And they're able to pick clothes from there. That way they can be at the bus station and be able to board that bus looking just like everyone else and not looking to where they look like an inmate or they so they can look just you know part of society part of society and and you once they go and they take their uh items that they've chosen and they go to the bathroom to go and change uh we also give them hygiene bags if they need to brush their teeth if they need to shave and um once they come back from the from the restroom and 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 uh, what we call the dressing area, the dressing area uh, is in actually the bathroom there and and the bus station. When they come back wearing that brand new T-shirt, uh, and they're just basic cotton T-shirts from Walmart. Yeah. But they come back and they have a smile already on their face, like the <laughs> old selves are coming yeah. back, it's, and they start to smile little by little as you as every step of the way. And then after that, we'll provide them with uh, some bags that uh, have uh, three bottles of water. They're also full of snacks, uh, trail mix and uh, peanuts and potato chips and things just to get them enough food and nourishment nourishment for them to be able to travel. Because some of them are going to be traveling for two to three days. I just spoke to a gentleman that was, re- that was released on Wednesday, mm-hmm. the day before Thanksgiving. And he, uh, his, his, his connection was in leaving Bronzeville and then making a connection in San Antonio, then making another connection in El Paso. And I spoke to him and, and we keep in contact with them to make sure that they arrive safely and that they are able to connect with their family. And he did make it in time for Thanksgiving and they celebrated Thanksgiving That's at beautiful. 10 o'clock p.m. on Thursday. So every step of the way they are transforming back to their old selves after they get that bag then we also provide a blanket for them to stay warm Mm -hmm. Uh, and then shoes and shoelaces because they do take their shoelaces away Uh, so we you know we'll give them shoelaces underwear Mm -hmm. then we're also working with a local local organization called good neighbor settlement house yes and so if they if there is enough time between the time that they arrive and their their bus departure if there is enough time for them to go to Good Neighbor Settlement House, which is probably within a mile or two, they can go over there and take a hot shower and shave and, and then come back and make it in time for their bus departure. So they also have been helping us also with if they um, arrive late and their bus doesn't leave till the next day, they have apartments there that they can stay at overnight and they can stay there and then the following morning they can go back to the bus station and 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 travel to wherever they need to have you come across any lgbt i actually have um it was this week that i met our very first 
a transgender woman, uh, mm-hmm. asylum seeker. It's very polite, very, you know, just very glad that we're to there to provide and that we don't treat her any different. Um, as a matter of fact, if, if, you know, if I do treat her different, it's to give her something extra, you know, to make sure we leave. To ensure her safety. To ensure her safety and to ask her, are you okay? Is there anything you need? And and so far to this date, she hasn't needed anything. We're like, do you, are you okay? Do you, are you sick? Do you have a cough? Do you need anything? And she's like, no, estoy muy bien. And she's very thankful for Where everything that we do. Did you get her story? I did not get her story. Um, and uh, But sh- I know that she's, you know, with a family. Um, Summer, could you? Uh, <laughs> Give us yeah. some background. Uh, and Summer will probably tell you a little bit. Uh, you've met her, the transgender uh, woman that's... Okay. But t- tell me some of the stories that you hear while they're leaving. Summer. Um, the, the one family, like, I wanted to kind of touch back on, Elias talked about a family who was sleeping on the bridge. Yeah. Um, it was four adults and three children. The first time I saw them, well, I saw the picture that Elias had went, because I didn't go to the old bridge, but I saw the um, that they were sleeping outside. I was very shocked because it was very cold that night. Yes. Um, and so the next day, they ended up bringing all the people from the old bridge to the new bridge. That's where we feed them at mm-hmm. 6 p.m. Yes. Um, this particular family, they um, were kind of staying off by themselves. And they had a look about them. It's very hard for me to describe. The only way I could describe it to you is to say they had a very wild look in their eyes. Yeah. Um, I maybe would describe that as some type of a trauma. But mm-hmm. they, the children did not want to make eye contact with me. They were very secluded. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I, I just kind of gave them their space. The father came up to us and he kept asking, um, are you going to give a plate to the children? Do the children also get a plate or is yeah. it just for the adults? I, I couldn't imagine why he would ask that. In my mind, it, it didn't make sense. But we just kept reassuring him. Yes, the children can eat. You can eat as much as you want. Um, yes. we, we brought enough for this many people, but there's always extra. Um, once the family ate, they all... Uh, look calm and mm-hmm. that look in their eyes that seems so scared and so far away it, it it subdued and suddenly they were wearing warm clothing and they had eaten and I just saw the little girl kind of wrap up in a ball on a chair mm-hmm. and put her head down and uh, like on her knees yeah. you know because she was all uh, she was holding herself tight I walked by her and she smiled at me and you know, there's some things you could get a diamond ring maybe on Christmas that'll make you feel great, you know, yeah. excited. Maybe you get an award um, from work or for a group that you work with or things like that. Um, I would say the smile that she gave me, it it was better than those. Yeah. Um, and just so the importance, you know, people, you you can't put a face to the name. This particular family that came from Cuba, um, mm. like I said, from what I'm hearing from the Cubans is that they cross over 31 countries to get here. They walk on foot through a jungle. Um, later, I'm going to share with you a Facebook video, yes. a live video of actually uh, the jungle that they walked through and the river that they rested at. Um, but as far as, you know, um, one family that I met, they came from Cameroon. Um, beautiful, gorgeous people, but they have a civil war in their country right now. Yeah. And so they literally have witnessed uh, family members murdered by um, the other side, who, you yeah. know, whoever it is that they're fighting there. And you know, this, this girl, she's uh, so beautiful. 
uh, I gave her a coat, you know, and yeah. she was so happy. She's like, oh, thank God. We, we don't know this kind of <laughs> cold better. in my country. You know, this is something different for us. Please yeah. tell me it's not going to be this cold. But she came to me uh, the first couple nights. She was okay. Finally, about a week into waiting at the bridge, because they're waiting there for yeah. more than a week. Um, she came to me crying this time. This strong girl who has just yeah. uh, survived a civil war in her country and traveled, I don't know how many, how far. Yeah. Um, she came to me crying and she said, I would rather have been killed in my country with a dignity, with an honorable death, than to have traveled this far and to be treated so bad at the U.S.-Mexican border. They treat me like if I'm trash, I'm nobody, and I don't deserve my life. Um, and, you know, so if I could convey a message to anybody else who can't see with their eyes or touch with their hands, these people that are here waiting, seeking asylum at our border, you know, I would just uh, plead with people to think of all the people who have given their lives in this country, fighting for wars that we go around saying that, you know, this is the best place to live. This is where you can have justice. This is where everybody's equal. This is where we welcome the refugee and we welcome those that want a better life for them and their families. I would just like to remind people to think about that sacrifice that so many people have made ahead of us and to remember that the Statue of Liberty, she stands with arms open wide. And so these people that they're traveling, they're coming to our borders. Maybe all you see on the news, it's uh, Honduras and the caravan from Central America. Uh, try to remember that those people are human um and that they have the same needs that we do to be loved to be esteemed to be fed to have a roof over their heads to be out of the elements now try to think of the children that are in between them i saw a little girl on a bus and they were getting to tijuana and she just you know you could tell that she has not bathed in a while she has not eaten properly in a while she stuck her head out to see this new city that she was passing through and next thing you know people were shouting go home we don't want you here get out of here and the little girl's face just had the most saddest look yeah. and she went and she sat back down inside the bus and so my heart goes out to all of the people who are feeling emotional pain who are feeling like they're, they're at the end of their rope and they want to give up they rather just throw themselves off the bridge instead of stand in line and wait there tell them you know be strong your your fight is not over yet uh to the ones who are standing in line and seeking asylum and to those of us who are maybe numb to the process, I would just ask you to have some compassion, to wake up a little bit, send $5, send 10 you know, ask your neighbor to send something, or pray for them, even. You know, if you don't yeah. want to do anything else, send some prayers away. Uh, we know that the transgender, they do need help. People are hiding. Um, you're not necessarily going to find a friendly environment at the U.S.-Mexican border. You're not. Um, but if you came all the way, you can get through this, too. Where can people who want to volunteer, who want to come down to the Rio Grande Valley, how can they reach you, Liz? We do have a Facebook page that was started by one of our volunteers. He actually uh, is at the university at UTRGV. Uh, actually, he goes to Texas Southmost College, and he started a Facebook page. It's called Team Bronzeville, and um, we started that one last week, so we, you know, that is where they can contact us, and we have been receiving messages um, I receive them uh, pretty much every day about people from all over wanting to volunteer. Uh, and if they cannot come to Texas, they'll ask us about how they can donate and, and contribute as well. And, uh, and then some of them don't, you know, uh, cannot donate, but they just are lending their support and telling us, you know, of the work that we're doing and uh, that they appreciate what we're doing. 
and to continue helping those in need. So prayers, good vibes, or accepted. Good vibes and or just, accepted. yeah, it goes a long way. Are welcomed all the time. And in this past week, you know, it was Thanksgiving and, and we did things a little bit different to where normally we go at 6 p.m. On Thanksgiving Day, we went at 3 because we had already spent several days in advance inviting the homeless population to that are that live close to the bridge we also invited street vendors like the lady that sells nopales the man that sells elotes everyone to come and join us there at the bridge and uh, right it by the humanizes plaza. humanizes everything and when we got together in prayer before we before we fed everyone we got uh, of course we go to the new bridge and the old bridge so we go to both bridges on the first bridge when we were praying and we had volunteers from Dallas that came to to help uh, and uh, and we also had Michael do the translation uh, because our volunteer is African-American so when we were there in prayer there was a lady holding her daughter uh, one of the asylum seekers and holding her daughter and she was just in tears as as the pr during prayer the same thing happened over at the at the old bridge at the BNM bridge that one was a larger group and it was probably a large we got together in a large circle of about 20 or 30 of us and we had men crying because there was a pastor from cuba that said the prayer in spanish and we had men crying and uh because you know they're you know in this country on thanksgiving and you know god will god will meet you exactly where you're at and despite their circumstance God sent angels to provide for them, and we're, that's what we're doing every day, is providing for them a hot meal, toothbrush, toothpaste, whatever their needs the is. The most important. The hope. most important basic hope. things is hope, and, and yeah. giving them hope, and giving them love, hugging them, and if they need medication, and anything to where they won't have to leave that bridge, and we'll, we'll go and go get food for them we'll go and go get medication for them they need water we'll go get the water for them so they because they've they leave their spot and and they get called and they're not there when they're called they just miss their turn uh so they have to get all over back in line again so i mean what we see is you know lots of people sleeping on the floor you know and what you know they left their own home their own beds and and to see them all just Sleeping on the floors is just uh, It's just very powerful to see all of that and but the the unity is there the love the compassion That we are able to to give to them and even amongst them, you know, it's like It's just very powerful. We thought we were just gonna go volunteer one day or one day out of the week And we're going every day. Tell us about the process of going to Mexico. The process of going into Mexico, um, of course, you know, I don't have a passport, uh, which I thought I was was going to be a barrier. And you, there, that's actually not a barrier. You can still cross with just your driver's license. Uh, they would like for you to take your driver's license and birth certificate. Uh, sometimes I do remember to take both, but sometimes I'll just cross with my driver's license. And I have on one occasion even forgotten my wallet in because we traveled by car. And I got into Cindy's car and I forgot my wallet and I was like I have no ID no birth certificate but you just show up there and and uh, once you arrive at the border you just give them your information and they're able to pull you up on the system and and confirm that it is you that that you know is on their system this Tamaulipas is a state that borders 
Brownsville, and it's been by the Department of Justice, the St Secretary of State, uh, the State Department, sorry. It's a very violent area and provided caution to travelers to beware of that area. How do you, what's your safety like? When you Bef before we started helping with the asylum seekers, I myself and my family have not traveled to Mexico. I've actually been invited by friends to go to Matamoros and we no longer go. But when this ha is happening right here on, we when we heard about it happening right here on our border and there was a need, I did not even think about, you know, how, you know, how dangerous it was. And we actually walked from one bridge over to the second bridge, which is about two miles. And we walked down the main strip, which is Alvaro Obregón uh, uh, Boulevard there. And we do not feel the like one bit in danger because we are going with Brandon Tucker. He's the one that cooks. Everybody knows him. Everybody's <laughs> saying hello. And they're like, hey, Wero. Hey, Rojo, you got a sandwich? You got something? And there, we're feeding people along the route. When we go to one bridge to the other, we're feeding people along the way. They already know that the wagons that we're pulling has food, has water, has drinks. So even like street vendors and people, uh, you know, men that are there asking for money uh, in their wheelchairs, they all ask for, you know, for food. And, and we feed them along the way. So... We don't feel at all in danger one bit. And we make several trips back and forth from the bridge, especially if, if once we go and they tell us they need medication, we'll go to one pharmacy. On one night, we went to three pharmacies trying to get us a particular medication uh, for a lady that also, there was also another lady that had been bitten by bees just waiting there on the bridge. Uh, so we went to go get something for her, for her swelling as well. So whatever you know danger you know that there you know they say there is uh, we definitely our guards are you know are down because we're there to help can i, can I say something about <clears throat> in regards to the danger in matamoros that the perceived danger yes um i don't i'm not really sure why or where that's coming from um i did mexican guards um immigration guards they did tell me that the caravan decided not to come through tamaulipas because um some 150 immigrants that came through here not too long ago tried to come through here they went missing so i guess that maybe that's why they ended up um, going to tijuana instead but i have walked around matamoros at night the historic they have a very beautiful historic district they have it's a beautiful city. beautiful parks um you know schools art schools i would love for people to stop being so afraid to go in there because you certainly don't see anybody lurking ready to kidnap you just on the corner um, it was midnight, I think one night while I was walking through there, maybe two in the morning. And there were groups and groups of people outside of a club, young people, with music blaring. And they were all laughing and having a great time. So the perception of violence and that it's a dangerous city, um, it, it's perceived from the U.S. side, but you don't see it in the Matamoro side. You do see the Marines, that they're keeping the city safe. And there, you know, it seems to be that maybe there is some type the, of a presence. The Mexican Marines. The Mexican Marines. Uh -huh. um, but, but as far as it being a dangerous city, I haven't seen or heard you're anything. Give, you're giving us new perspective because yeah. what we hear is um, what we hear from the Depar uh, State Department. So I appreciate that yeah, on the, the ground <laughs> reporting. 
the other thing is that on the American side, we have already started to see a lot of the military presence. And I know that uh, we have met with several reporters uh, here locally and also nationally that keep asking us about that. And again, you know, this isn't something to where we even try to be political or anything like that uh, because, you know, we pretty much know that what our mission is and that's to help it's our fellow brothers and humanitarian. sisters humanitarian we're not focusing on anything having to do with the military because what that's doing to Bronzeville is is really making Bronzeville look bad and making it look like such a dangerous place to live in and because you know we have this crisis going on there is no crisis such as to where we anyone should feel in danger this is you know what that is doing is making Bronzeville look bad South Texas look bad uh, and that's not the that's not the impression we want to leave on people, because the impression we want to leave is is pretty much about compassion and about love for your fellow brothers and sisters and how the community came together when the need was there and not turning a blind eye to where to where we are not going to do anything uh, because you know the president doesn't support it or anything like that. We support our fellow brothers and sisters, and that's what we're there to do. Thank you so much, Elias, for being on this show and sharing your journey on this wonderful humanitarian project that you're doing. And thank you so much, Summer, also, for helping out Elias and getting you're welcome <laughs> and getting involved. <laughs>